What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined once again by Coach Andrea. Jody is not going to be here today, but Andrea, welcome back. Thank you, as always, for being here. Hey, thanks. We'll miss Jody today. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, not going to be quite as sarcastic of a show. As well. <laughs> so, Phil uh, is in. Anything new, different going on this week with your own training? Training is still the same. I've added a weird amount of strength on a lot of the movements for some reason. Like it's just kind of like taking a big uptick in strength. I don't know what it is. Um, honestly, like it, it may, it, it feels like it's been since we went to that gym in Dallas. It seems like every time I go to a gym where I have like full freedom to just push myself to complete failure on things. I come back and it feels like, like I might not have been pushing myself as hard as I could okay. have on these. <laughs> okay. uh, even though it feels like I am in the moment, uh, I've, I've just added a lot of strength on things where, um, I, I don't know, like workouts haven't changed, diet hasn't changed. So that's the only thing I can come up with there, but it's good news regardless of why it's happening. Huh? Yeah, I think that's one. I do think it's very valuable to have clients. And that's especially like when I think so, like I do like the there's a couple different ways we can apply RIR reps and reserve, right? On one end, we have like more what Renaissance periodization typically would use, where it's like first week is three RIR, next week is like maybe two to three, next week's one to two, and we're moving all the way down to like a zero to one. On the other end, uh, there's also like a descending RIR scheme, which I, I use this more frequently, more frequently with clients than I would use like that descending or that like RP style or we're descending across weeks where here, like maybe the first sets at two RIR next sets at one to two, one, and then maybe zero to one. If we're doing four sets, I think that is just being able to consistently, like actually take a set to zero to one RIR. And Anytime, like I get the sense that, Hey, this client might not truly be taking it to zero to one RIR. I'll leave a note, like, Hey, record that set for me. Or if a client's really struggling with that, oftentimes I'll like put that set, I'll flip that on its head where like, Hey, actually the first set's going to be zero to one RIR. And then after that, our next sets are three, two to three sets are going to be like one to two RIR. Right. But we're really consistently making sure that we know like what that actually feels like, because I think if you're consistently training at like three RIR, it's so easy for that to actually be closer to like four to five. And then when you truly take it to zero to one, then it's um, a little, it's like, oh, wow, that was way off. Do you typically tend to err towards like, you think underestimating your RIR? So like underdoing it or overdoing it? Like, okay, I definitely passed my RIR target there. So right now my RIR target is three to four for upper body and four to five for lower. So that's, a, yeah. to me, it was a little bit harder to gauge than yeah. like zero to one, yeah. but I find that I tend to go a little bit beyond that sometimes with upper body and probably leave a little bit too much in the tank every once in a while with lower body, just because, you know, it just hurts more. So it feels yeah. like you're subjectively closer, but then if I, and to just continue to add more and more week to week, I'm able to do it and still feel like I have probably three, four, five left in the tank. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a very common thing with lower body. It's so much harder to actually push your RIR targets where I think with upper body, it's a lot easier to just push past it simply because those movements are typically less exhausting, less painful, especially if we're talking about like quad movements where 
that's generally going to be like the most painful thing in the world. Cool. Well, I'm glad yeah. to hear you're getting stronger um, and still kind of chipping away at the fat loss. It sounds like. Yeah. Still just inching along. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, that is, do you prefer a more conservative or a more aggressive diet like with yourself? Uh, somewhere within a range. Um, like a, I can, I can be pretty patient and I'm, I'm pretty good with like three quarters of a pound of a pound per week. Mm-hmm. Um, right now it's just like, man, I'll have a, a spike in my weight that sets me back by a couple of weeks. And then it'll take like a week, week and a half to <laughs> regain that. So it ends up averaging to be pretty slow, like yeah. maybe half a pound a week. Um, but I mean, I I'm pretty patient regardless. So I'm okay with it either way. I'm just putting it in my coach's hands. Um, cause I can see the benefits of both. Like I can right. see the benefit of keeping it more conservative, being able to eat a little bit more right now, working on more on hormones. Um, but I can appreciate a good, <laughs> a good aggressive cut too for the, uh, just like seeing the numbers drop week to week is so motivating. Oh yeah. But I think that's an important thing also is this is something that you are doing intentionally, right? Because your focus right now isn't just losing body fat as quickly as possible. It right. is so much past that with your hormones and things of that nature. So I think, I think that's important. Yeah. Um, I've really enjoyed the cut with Brandon because it, Brandon, because it has been a little bit more aggressive than what I was doing previously. And I, I personally always just err towards that a little bit more. Like I can, I can be patient, but I still like, just, I like to see that. I think as most people do, like, I like yeah. to just see things moving a little bit quicker. Um, and we haven't been crazy aggressive by any means. I think I'm down 10 pounds in seven weeks. So it's not like crazy aggressive by any means, but it's still, it's been like a nice, decent, like every week. Okay. I can like see this nice downward trend. And that, that as you said, is just a little bit more motivating, but yeah, past that. Um, things on my end have been going pretty well, just continuing to chip away what I dropped down to 189 last week. So the first time I've been below the ni- 190s in a very long time. Um, and I think we're talking about this coming week, setting up a timeline for doing some type of photo shoot. So I wasn't sure if I was going to do something like that or not, but decided hey we're here might as well just do it all the way and like yeah see how far i can surpass what i've done previously so i'm excited for that as well but anyways let's go ahead and get into the questions here um first one i have is when it is time to change movements due to stalled progression how do you choose what to swap for example preacher for front facing cable curl front delt press for question mark etc any thoughts for us there? So a lot of it, it realistically is going to depend on the equipment available because that seems to be a pretty big limiting factor for a lot of my clients, just having only dumbbells available or whatnot. But let's assume that a person has everything available to them. I have like a a handful of my favorites that I feel like have it like in broad general strokes have good stimulus to fatigue ratio, um, really great stimulus on the target muscle, uh, pretty stable setup, pretty like simple setup in terms of like how many pieces you have to move around and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so between 
that and narrowing it down by uh, what a person has, like what I've learned about a person's preferences and things um, that usually will narrow it down to a pretty small list of uh, exercises to swap in there. And so then it's about, okay, um, is it something that a person has done in the past and they're good to go back to that one because it was a great exercise for them and they just needed to switch out to something different for a while or, um, you know, what, like what sort of limitations do they have, but that's kind of how I'll pick it. There's really not like this endless amount of exercises for each muscle group that really are great movements. It's right. a pretty short list. And that's another reason to not get too crazy with variation too, is like you run out of things that are great exercises pretty quickly. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. No, I, I really, what I'm looking for is so when I'm programming, typically I'm looking at, okay, how are we trying to overload? Like what tissue are we trying to overload? And to a further extent, um, what position are we trying to overload it in typically, right? So am I looking for like a lengthened overload for the glutes, a mid-range, a shortened overload, right? And that that is further going to like, because we're not just looking at it like, is this a glute movement? Um, and that's how I used to look at it before I understood things on a little bit deeper level, but like the stimulus we get from like a hip thrust is going to be quite a bit different than the stimulus we get from a bendy RDL, right? That hip yeah. thrust that's going to be most challenging when the tissue is fully shortened. That bendy RDL is going to be most challenging when the glutes are more lengthened, right? So I'm further, further, I'm looking at like, again, alongside what muscle group am I trying to train here? So like, or what muscle groups am I trying to train here? But also again, like what position am I trying to overload it in? Right. So is it lengthened? Is it mid range? Is it shortened? So as you said, like, then that really shortens our list down to like, okay, well, what else do we have? That's a good option here. So again, like let's use a bendy RDL as an example. Okay. So from there, like another couple options that I would really like would be something like a Smith machine deficit reverse lunge is one that I'm a big fan of, or really like any reverse lunge variation for a lengthened glute would be a pretty good option. We could probably, her leg press will sometimes be like kind of mid-range to lengthen, but we could probably go with like a leg press variation as well. And then past that, like mm, off the top of my head, I mean, we could maybe do like a glute bias squat, but I don't, Two, or like a reverse V squat is actually a pretty solid one here as well. If you have that available, um, but past that, like there's not like a list of 25 different movements that I would plug in there. Right. So it's very much like we're trying almost always, unless there's a shift in the client's goals, I'm looking to, again, um, how can we train the same tissue? How can we overload the same position? Uh, how can we overload the tissue in the same position? And then again, that honestly leaves us with a pretty short list of movements. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, not really. Cool. I think that yeah. covers it. What else you got? So the question that I got was in, I'm in week five of a cut. All biofeedback markers are good, except for constipation, hitting fiber numbers and water. Okay, cool. So yeah, the so when we're looking at digestion there are a couple things to dig into here water is is a big one that i always like to touch on first so like normally i know she said her water is good just for the listener i'll touch on water hey where is your urine at normally i'll like what color is your urine consistently and i'll send people over a urine color chart and there's like a one to two like we want it like a very light yellow to pretty clear right hydration is going to be a big thing almost think of it as like 
lubricant, I guess, moving things through your system here. Um, oil would have been a better term there, I think. But anyways, um, it's kind of just moving things through your system here. So the the water intake is one of the one of one piece of this. Um, I'm also typically looking at stress. What are your stress levels like, right? Because we have to understand if stress is a lot higher. And even like for me, I know I mentioned um when Brandon and I pulled back for a couple of days there, it was like I had a period of time where my stress spiked and I saw the same thing. Like my digestion was way off. I was having a lot of constipation. Um, and within that, sometimes that can be a product of stress because stress is going to have a large impact on your autonomic nervous system, which is basically going to have two different branches. We have the parasympathetic and the sympathetic branches, right? So you probably heard people say like uh, parasympathetic or rest and digest state and a sympathetic or fight or flight state, right? So when stress is higher, our body is going to shift to spending more time in a more sympathetic state or a more fight or flight state. Now, when we're in this rest and digest thing or right in this rest and digest that state, as the name states, we're spending more time, again, just focusing on our bodies repairing itself, our body's prioritizing things like digestion and hormone production. But when we are in this fight or flight state or a more sympathetic state, which is going to come along with higher stress, then our body is going to kind of push things like hormone production, digestion to the back burner. So we will see like when stress is a lot higher, individuals' digestion typically won't be as good. So that's something to look to as well. Um, how are you managing your stress? And if you struggle with that, supplementing with things like magnesium or the KSM 66 ashwagandha could be good suggestions there. I don't want to just throw those out as blanket statements, but they can be helpful. Um, and then past that point, then I'm also typically sending individuals over like a Bristol stool chart, just, Hey, what does your poop actually look like? Right. And normally when somebody's constipated, it'll be like just the little like rabbit poop looking things where it's just the little lumps. And then as she alluded to, then we're typically looking at alongside all this, we're typically looking at what is your fiber intake like, right? And we really want most people eating about 10 to 15 grams of fiber per every thousand calories consumed. Now, the thing to understand here is both too little and too much fiber can create digestive issues here, right? I think people look sometimes look at fiber as only like, hey, as long as I'm eating enough, we're good, but I can't overdo it. Where like, even for you, like I know when you started coaching with me, you were eating like 60 grams of fiber a day, I believe. And you until like a pretty recent, the last couple of years, I know you ate a lot of fiber, right? Before intentionally pulling yeah. that back. Yeah. Yeah. I have to be really intentional about it, but it's usually around 30 right now, yeah. which is much easier on my digestion. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. usually like 50, but maybe even like 55 before. Yeah. yeah. And so that's not great. <laughs> Yeah. And that's the thing too. I've had clients where we've had to pull that back. So again, like right around 10 to 15 grams of fiber per thousand calories consumed is a pretty good rule of thumb. Now from there, typically if these issues still persist and we've addressed all the above, then I will start digging into the specific type of fiber that you're consuming. So really we have two different types of fiber. We have soluble fiber, which basically attracts water and turns to gel during digestion. And this will slow digestion a bit, right? So if someone had diarrhea, for example, we would want to focus on, hey, maybe within your diet, we're actually going to increase the amount, like the overall percentage of soluble fiber that you're eating versus insoluble fiber, right? Because again, this is going to kind of create that gel-like consistency and slow digestion down a little bit. So that would be things like oats, barley, rye, fruits, peas, apples, carrots, um, things of that nature. On the flip side, then we have insoluble fiber, which is going to add bulk to the stool. 
and potentially help things pass more quickly through the stomach and intestines. So if someone had, um, if someone was struggling with constipation, like in this case, then we would actually look at, okay, what are your most fibrous food sources? And it's potentially, if there's potential that you're probably eating a lot more soluble fiber than insoluble fiber. So maybe you want to bias a little bit more towards soluble fiber. So that'd be more things like Brussels sprouts, nuts, cauliflower, potatoes, um, whole grain bread, seeds, things of that nature. Um, and then, yeah, that's really as far as digestion goes, kind of the process that I would typically work through. Anything to add to that? Those are definitely the big rocks that I work through first as well. A couple of other things that we will work on if those are all already in a good place is getting your uh, food like meal pattern throughout the day uh, pretty regulated. So uh, I'll, I'll usually say let's get an hour buffer for each meal that you'll eat that within. So instead of having a completely different meal uh pattern across each day, say, okay, breakfast is going to be, for example, between six and seven. And then my next meal is going to be between 11 and 12 and then that next meal and so on. And if you keep them pretty consistent day to day, your digestion gets into like this rhythm, just like your circadian rhythm or a lot of other processes that your body goes through. Your digestion works really well with getting consistent. Um, same thing with meal size. If you normally have like a X size breakfast, and then one day you have X times two size breakfast, mm -hmm. then it's not as it's gonna, not going to go as smoothly for your digestion. So keeping that fairly consistent can be helpful as well. And then not snacking on things throughout the day. Um, your, your body has this, um, it's MMC. Uh, and I always forget the migrating uh, motor, complex. migrating motor complex. There we go. And in order for that, and that is basically like the muscular contractions in your, uh, digestive system that pass things down, down the line. And so if you have food coming in, that is shut off. And so that works in the space in between your meals. So if you're constantly grazing or snacking on things, then you're going to end up pretty bloated and potentially constipated because it doesn't get a chance to really move things down the digestive system. Uh, another one is really um, getting calm before each of your meals. So that kind of goes with the CNS talk that you were uh, going through before with getting into a parasympathetic state. So taking like eight to 10 deep breaths before each meal and really focusing on your meal can be really helpful so that you're not eating in that uh, wired state so that it digests a little bit better. Um, giving yourself enough time in the bathroom in the morning can be helpful because if you're just rushing around in the morning and that's kind of goes to the stress talk as well. But if you don't like, if you're just go, go, go in the morning and you don't leave yourself any time, it's hard to get into that rhythm where you're going the same way each day. And then lastly, uh, the, the fake fiber type foods. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the breads and wraps, I, those wellness wraps are a big one that I will have people pull out to see if that improves their digestion. And almost always that will clear it up. All of the stuff that has like added, but uh, what well, if it shows net carbs, that's a red flag <laughs> that it has a whole bunch of added fiber so that it can subtract that and just show the net carbs and a different number of calories. So, um, those, extreme wellness wraps, the quest bars, um, 
anything with added like gums and fillers to make it have a certain texture and consistency so that it can reduce the calories drastically, like the types of ice cream and stuff like that. Those are pretty hard on people's digestion. I've seen those so often in people's food bogs mm. and that's almost always a digestion culprit. So I pull those out if they're in there and see if that helps. Yeah. Quest bars specifically seem to be a very common offender there. Um, but really, as you said, like, it's not to say that like these things are bad by any means or that you absolutely need to avoid them. But I'll say like, pro- if you're eating a lot of protein bars and again, Quest bars specifically seem to be like just anecdotally one of the largest offenders. But like, if we're looking at things that have like, um, erythritol can be, yeah. did I pronounce that right? I, always- I think so. Okay. Or xanthan gum um, are both like relatively common offenders there to watch out for. And again, like if you're eating like multiple quest bars a day, that's potentially an issue as well. But I don't think I have anything else to add to that. Good on that one. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Last one we have eating when stressed out, I give in and then go off the rails and spiral downwards for weeks. Any thoughts on how to approach this? You want me to take this? Take it away. All right. So this, this is tough. Um, eating in a stressed state. So she's having like an emotional eating issue. And then just that kind of throws her off of her plan for a large chunk of time. Yeah. So it's kind of, uh, similar to the whole emotional eating talk that we, um, went over last week in that, um, the, the, if then statement can be extremely helpful in this situation where, uh, you kind of use a pattern interrupt to stop you in that state of stress eating and just give yourself a little bit of time to do something else, to put a little bit of time and space between you and the immediate response to overeat. So, or eat whenever it's not conducive to your goal. Um, just that little bit of time and space to do something. And usually that something is like putting you into a parasympathetic state and calming you down in and of itself. So that can be helpful, but just that little bit of time and space can be extremely helpful for you to just sort of recenter your body and your thoughts. And usually that in and of itself will, will give you the the time to decide to do something else. Um, that, that immediate reaction is usually the thing that gets you is just like you, you have this habit of I'm stressed, I eat, and then that has its cascading effect. Um, so just that, that little bit of time can help. Do you have any other thoughts on that? Uh, I think that's a great start to like addressing the emotional eating side of things and like where that's coming from. Right. Can you just create a little bit of space there? Can you create a pattern interrupt? So rather than my response immediately being, I feel this emotion, I feel stressed and I eat. Can we take some time to just consider like, hey, I am feeling stressed. How am I going to respond to this? That in itself is very helpful. And then I think a lot of times in a situation like this, overeating due to stress isn't actually the problem. Your perception of it being a problem is the problem. So what I mean by that is, like a lot of times it's just looking at like, is this really true? I overate today because I was stressed. Okay. Maybe that's true. This ruined my progress for the next few weeks. I'm just going to say, fuck it. And I'm not going to follow the plan for the next few weeks because I ruined everything. Is that really true? 
no. Right. And that's where like, I really try to just encourage clients, like just ask like, Hey, is this, let's just look at this objectively. Okay. We know that again, you've been in a deficit for the last five days. Let's say today you overate by 700 calories. Hey, that puts you right around your maintenance intake. Right. So it's, we still made five days of progress and one day a week where one day this week where we maintain. So across the course of six days, like we still move the needle forward significantly. So the thing to understand is you didn't really ruin your progress. The only thing that could actually ruin your progress is if you can continue to perceive this as, okay, because I didn't hit my targets perfectly, my progress is ruined, which isn't really the case. But if you continue to perceive it as thus, and and so you continue to like, okay, well now what's the point? I'm just not going to stick to the plan. Then that's where it really turns into a problem. So honestly, I think for most of the time, most of the time, like I definitely dig into if then statements, but I also really like to just dig into with clients, like how they're actually perceiving this. And is it really as much of an issue as you think it is? I think like that is one of the most helpful things in situations like this is just like, Hey, it's actually not the fact that you were stressed and you ate a bit more that has consistently been throwing you off for the last however many years. It's been the way you've like perceived that entire situation and that it ruined your progress when it really didn't. But it's the actions that that perception caused you to take that actually did end up indeed ruining your progress. Does all that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Cool. Anything else to add there? I I think one more thing that might be helpful on the mindset side of that was, is each time you have this situation where you're stressed and you overeat as a response, it's treated as practice. So this is never going to go away. Like you're always going to have stress in your life. So if each time you treat it as a way to practice uh, handling it, or even like, okay, this happened, I'm going to get right back to it. Use it as a chance to, um, to learn from that and get better at handling it the next time. So you don't waste it. It's interesting how much of this comes to, again, like just your perception of the thing, right? Because that's essentially fixing, changing from a kind of a fixed mindset to we're looking at this with more of a growth mindset, right? Where you're, it's not realistic for you to expect, as you said, for your life to just never be stressful again. And you're so thus you'll never be tempted to like stress eat again. That's, as you said, that's probably not going to go away. So again, let's look at this. It's like, not how can we be perfect right away, but rather can I continue to grow from this and like continue to get better with practice, like with these experiences? So I, I think that's great. Um, you didn't have anything else, right? Nope. Okay, perfect. Well, that is all we have for y'all for today. As always, thank you for tuning in and we will catch you guys next time.